G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name is Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan that hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe and good hunting. Yep, I can do it. Okay, so good evening everyone. Good evening uh, to all our listeners and good evening to our guest tonight, Zach. And of course, good evening to Ian as well. How are you guys? G'day, yeah, good, thank you. Cool, cool. Good, Mark, thanks. I see you wearing... Yeah. I see you wearing the shirt. Draw attention to that shirt, please, yes. please. Yes. Here, look. Uh, my new um, Hunter's Campfire branded shirt. We're getting a couple of these done just to make ourselves look smart. Um, <laughs> it, it's funny. I, I, I posted a video up and I was wearing it and I had um, a, a number of inquiries as to how I can get my hands on one of those shirts. So maybe we'll, we'll throw a few out in the community as well. We'll see if it wasn't the intention. Yeah, look, uh, merch is good. Uh, I've got there's one here actually, so we we actually do we we have one that we could probably release to the public right now. So I think we should figure out how to do that. I'm not exactly sure, you know those you know how they do those kind of um, things on Facebook where it's like the random generator. We need something like that to figure out how to do it. I've got no idea. Yeah, unfortunately we'll have to random generate anyone in an XL size shirt. Yes, right, so we're, we're, we're narrowing down the pool of listeners pretty fast. That's why I'm not. It's, that's why I'm giving away because it's way too big for me. So yeah, apologies for that. I, I thought you were a larger man than you were. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a waif of the you know girly waif of the thing. So so I don't fit into these little you know tent like garments. So uh, Zach, uh, how are you this evening? Yeah, good mate. Good. good, good. Kids are asleep and getting ready for the arvo or the night. I'm actually drawn to that really interesting skull behind you. This one just here, yeah. Yeah, that one. What's that? That's a deadhead fallow I found. That um snap. Oh wow. He's got one one side fully grown out and then he's only got the uh the front front uh tine coming out the top where he's snapped off at the skull and it's regrown. Wow. That's really interesting, isn't it? Uh, so it so it's actually that's a regrowth. That's not the snap point there. No, that's that's the regrowth point where he's just kept his um his 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 front front tine at the at the start. Oh, okay. So is there a coronet at all, or is it just coming no, straight no, out? No, it's just just the tine. Oh, all the rest of the coronet's gone. Imagine seeing cool that one. Put that up. Imagine seeing that one going through the scrub. going, hang on, what's going on? Is it cast already? Well, funny you story. Funny story. I was I was on a um, a hunt down in uh, Hanging Rock near Nundal. Uh, would have been uh, two or three ruts ago, and a good friend of mine went down into this deep, dark, gnarly gully, and I was hunting on the ridge just above it. And uh, he nailed uh, quite a nice buck down in the bottom of that. He had dodgy shoulders at the time, so of course he's straight on the two way to me, saying, "Can you come and help me haul this thing out after dark?" Uh, the nice fellow that he is blew my hunt, and off I went to help him, which was all fine because that's what you do for your mates, right? Um, until the next night when he went down there and, and, and another buck had taken over his patch straight away, as they do. 
Well, anyway, boom, the 280 went off in the in the gully below me. I thought, oh, he's done it again, the bastard. On the radio, yeah, sorry, mate, I've done another one. Can you come down? I think I've stuffed this one up, though. What are you talking about? Get down there. This thing's only got one palm. It was a nice palm, but, yeah, it had obviously smashed one off by, um, oh, wow. by fighting recently because it was um, it was a recent break-off. But, yeah, so we had to drag, you know, half a head up the hill, which was just, just a great way to end the night. But <laughs> these things happen. The only thing, the only time I've ever actually lined up on a double six, um, I realised after about an hour and a half of approaching it was that the whole the whole beam is, was split. It's been fighting it and it split it down the beam, but it hadn't sheared away. But so it was almost like it had three antlers. Yeah, well, wow. it was split, and I thought, oh. Nah, I'll let, I'll, let, I'll let him. I'll you know I'll, I'll let him go, and so he can get poached off the road later on by someone in the spotlight. But yeah, because we are talking the Brisbane Valley, so so that's what probably happened to him. But I you know I just went, oh god, no, it's just it, yeah, you can see it's just damaged. That was the only time I've ever seen one like that. I've seen um a fallows have been cracked, but I've never seen one like that. That's pretty impressive. Mm. Yeah, fallow go pretty hard. Harder in the yeah. road. Hardest fighting deer, that's for sure. You seen that video of the fellow beating up the pig? Yeah, yeah. The pig, no. Yeah, there's it's on the, the Facebook page. There's a, a big Euro boar too. It's not it's a big Euro boar and a big, you know, palmy Euro fellow, and they they're basically tussling and then eventually the you know, the fellow gets it on the pig and chases it off. And yeah, I just think it, it, just, route, it just so. had the right, yeah, it just had the range, you know. Just the pig just couldn't get anywhere near it. And those, those skinny little legs must have some, must have some iron in them because it was pushing this thing around. That pig was no small pig either. There's a uh, good video of a cow and a ram going at it. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that <laughs> and the ram just knocks the cow completely out, <laughs> just drops yep. it on the spot. I haven't seen that. Nature's oh, nuts, it's, it's just crazy what, what, what will take on what, right. You know, the, the big buck thinks he's the biggest. He's the biggest of his own species. He just thinks he's king shit of the world. Um, he'll take on anything. It's hilarious. Anyway, hey, um, before we get too much into uh, the Zach story, um, I just wanted to um, ask a few questions, just for a few things that had come up that I'd seen over the week um, and a couple of questions from uh, from listeners. Um, I don't, um, I don't, Zach, I don't know if you remember the Australian Deer Association at all, eh? No, I'm not a member of the ADA. No, no, that's all right. So you wouldn't have got the latest deer mag, um, I assume. Uh, but in that, Mark, I don't know if you've read that one yet. Yeah. Are you talking about the um, the article in it? No. Not, oh, okay. No, Sorry. no, no. Well, there is an article in it that I was interested in. I was listening to the Meat Eater podcast during the week, and on the same day that I was listening to that, they were talking about how uh, whitetail are becoming a major COVID spreader problem. Mm. Did yeah. you read that article? Yeah. The same day I listened to that, this magazine came out and had an article in it about that. Um, I just thought it was an interesting topic that over there, given that whitetail are so prolific, that they're concerned that they're going to become the sleeper cell for the virus, and it's already being seen as transmitting between animal and humans. It's just a bizarre thing I never expected to happen. I was I, I was listening to something about that some time ago, and I can't think of what it was, but they reckon that it's in this particular one they were saying that they're pretty sure that it's been around in deer for a very long time 
it's yeah, not right. something it's you know it's just it's just it's one of the things they got well what they were talking about on the media podcast was that um they've been testing the deer for the last 20 ish years so they've yep. actually been able to go back over those records and see what they've actually had and know the COVID has only just started popping up in the deer oh, populations okay. over the last couple of years. Mm. Okay. But scary, if that's the case. It's interesting, though, that it's only whitetail and none of the other species. That they've picked up on, but mm. zoo animals have been dying all around the world from it. You know, you look at the mink farm populations in Europe, they had to wipe yep. all them out and... You know, there's been tigers and lions and all sorts of zoo animals dying well, what's from it. In, in Hong Kong, they kill all the hamsters. Yeah, oh. I've seen that. And then people are hiding them. <laughs> they kill my hamster. You know, hiding their hamster from the secret, you know, police coming around and kick your door in and throw your hamster in a meat grinder or something. I don't know. But, well, yeah. Dogs and cats at the start of COVID over there. Mm. They killed all the dogs and cats. Yeah. Unreal. Oh, just an interesting uh, thing that I heard in two places on the same day. I'd not heard of it before that, so I thought that was kind of cool. Well, not cool. Hopefully, it doesn't come here and harass our deer. Because be uh, we Yeah, oh, you wouldn't want to be cutting cutting them up, would you? Um, knowing that that's an easily transmittable um, virus to take home to your family. Yeah, but is it transmittable once they're dead? No. based. So I don't yeah. think have too much of an issue yeah is it molecules out of the out of the breathing it's more um ehd and stuff you'd want to be careful of what they're dealing with yeah yeah. that wasting disease or whatever it is yeah Yeah. wasting disease Mm. again that's whitetail right they seem to be susceptible to that there was also um um bovine influenza or something like that that they're getting a lot of um Mm. Things like that. Yeah, anyway, it was just a, just one of those things that crossed my crossed my desk while I was should have been working, and I was uh, <laughs> I was reading all about this. Um, one of the questions that came up just to another subject. One of the questions that came in from one of our um, one of our listeners the other day, and we uh, we threw this at you over email, Zach, and that was um, I think it was it did come to you, yeah, um, and that was about uh, how long um, bow hunters should take between putting an arrow into an animal and following it up. Um, I have my own opinions on this, and there's quite a few different opinions on this, but what's your take on that, given that you're into archery? My take is it just depends on the situation, really. Um, The terrain, how far you can see, and where the shot was. Um, You know, I've shot deer with a bow, and they've died within 10 seconds, and they've ran straight at me, and you can walk up straight away. you know, if you go a liver shot, it's going to take a little bit longer. Um, give it, you know, there's a couple of hours that you can give it. It just depends on where you are and what's around, the temperature, all of that type of stuff. Head downhill towards water after that. Pretty much how it works. Are you, um, are you of a mind, though, that you should give that animal the time after the first shot if you think that it's a good shot? just to leave it, let it settle. I mean, it's a completely different uh, way of taking an animal. You know, a rifle and a bullet is power and, and you know, and pressure and carnage, whereas, you know, an, an arrow is deep cuts and lacerations. So it's a, it's a different type of kill. Yeah, it kills by hemorrhaging. Um, mm. but it bleeds out. It just depends, depends, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It just depends on where you hit it and what you can see, you know. If you can see 200 metres 
in the direction it went and you can see it drop and just die you no problems going straight up to it sure where if you're in you know tight scrub and you don't hear the crashing you know sit down have a smoko have something to eat go through your snacks have a drink you know because bow hunting you get quite um out of breath no matter if it's flat down like you just get very very excited so just let yourself calm down and then yeah give it a little bit of time if you can't see I was thinking about this one because one one first thing was when the guy said, you know, wait time. I went, what's that? <laughs> what do you mean, wait? <laughs> what the the rifle one. Yeah. What am I waiting for? But then I, I think it was actually um, Tony said this some time ago, and I think he said it on his videos, and I'm going to credit it to him, is that if you shoot something or you arrow it and it's on the ground, and you walk up to it, and it's a and it's prey, so it's an animal that's a prey animal. And you know, and the predator you have have taken it out, and it's still alive when you walk up to it. The amount of adrenaline that's going to slam through that body as it's dying because it goes into this oh well the um you know here comes the predator is actually you know you you're actually putting it in a massive amount. You you're increasing the shock of what it's going through as it's dying. So, you know, it, you're actually, if you're thinking about meat or all that stuff, you're probably making that whole situation a whole, whole lot worse. And you're also stressing that animal out, you know, as it's dying. So, you know, just kind of standing back and letting it die with out, outside of it, being it's outside of its range of vision or where it's looking, is probably a good idea anyway. You know, just let it, let it expire and then approach it. So you know, when he was talking about wait time, I thought, well, you, know, you know, it's probably, you know, whilst there's, and because he had the, the reader had like a list and it said, you know, if you shoot it here, it's this many hours and things like that. But I, I suppose you're right. It all comes down to exactly what happens on the time when you, mm. you when you go to, um, when you, when the, when the, you land the arrow and all that stuff. But, you know, waiting's probably a, a really good idea anyway, just waiting it out anyway. I know Adrian used to say two smokes. He used to say, you know, after you've done your shot, have two, because Adrian smokes. So he said, he said, sit down and have two smokes. Don't have one smoke, have two, have a smoke, and then have another smoke, and then Imagine a Imagine that if I just shot a deer with a bow. <laughs> I'll, I'll be sucking yeah, yeah. those suckers back so far. That's one. <laughs> That's two. Let's go. But, yeah, yeah that but idea that idea of just waiting for a period of time is probably a, a very good habit to build anyway. Yeah, it's one thing, it's your safety as well. You know, mm. you shoot something with antlers, they're basically swords growing out of their head. If they're not not down, you can end up on the on the bad side of those antlers, mm. as uh, some hunters do, whether it's, you know, deer or scrub bulls or buffalo or whatnot. Oh, yeah. You know, there's hunters every year that get done in the States mm. while they antlers and all of that. But, yeah, it all depends on the shot. Um, a lot of those wait time things come from American. Mm. Exactly where it came from. They yep. tend to shoot pretty far back compared to us. We like to tuck it in, you know, right behind the shoulder there where they'll tend to go back more towards, like, back of the lungs and liver because they get less uh, meat wastage. So that's why, though. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, 
I, I think when I was looking at that list, seasonal conditions come into play because, you know, I, I've been watching, um, I think it's called the hunting public and they'll not often, but there is instances where they'll hit an animal and they'll go back and check on the video and say, Oh yeah, we got it. And then go back and it's frozen or it's close to frozen. You know, it, it's, it, well, the meat's completely okay. So there's been no issue about, you know, it's not 34 degrees, you know, then the thing's basically spoiled. So I suppose that has a lot to do with it too. You know, if I shot an animal and, and you know, and I followed the instructions and I waited eight hours to follow it up, you know, what, what you found after eight hours, if it was dead, probably wouldn't be worth doing much with anyway. Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's uh, too, um, too hot or if you've got mm. other predators in the area, you know, in the States, they've got coyotes and all of that. Um, if you shoot something and leave it eight hours, you're not going to have anything left. <laughs> That's right. Cool. Yeah. Any other questions, Anne, from the listeners? Yeah, so um, there was one that came up. Well, before I move on to that, i just say that that question came in from Michael. Michael was mm. one of the podcast listeners who's been um, intently listening to our uh, podcast around Severn State Forest specifically. Uh, and... I think he said he lives down the Gold Coast. I'm pretty sure that was his third trip to Severn in almost as many weeks um, following some of the advice that we'd given. And he managed to take his first ever public land animal this week, um, was kind enough to share the moment with us, sent the photos, the excitement and everything along with it, along with that question, um, because he was a little bit distressed, I think, that he'd, um, he'd shot this animal with the bow. It seemed to be a good shot but it didn't die instantly like you would expect sometimes with a rifle, especially goats. They're, they're pretty soft animals. Um, and that was where the question around wait times came mm. from because he was second-guessing himself as to whether he'd done the wrong thing, hit it the wrong way, whether he should have chased it and had it, you know, put another arrow into it, which is probably not what we'd want to do, things like that. So uh, good shout-out to Michael anyway for getting his first one um, after listening into all of the information. And man. Yeah. Hopefully he you gets a bit from answering that. He gets his T-shirt. He gets the T-shirt. Hopefully he gets he's the next T-shirt. There we go. <laughs> All right. All right. If, you, if he listens to this, he can send your details and maybe we'll get it out to you. Um, okay, moving on. Um, next question that came in um, was around reloading. Now I'm going to read the question um, just so that I get it right. It was well written. Um, you reached out to your listeners in one of your podcasts about topic material that you'd asked that you asked hunters might like to hear about. One topic I'm interested in you and Mark discussing are your thoughts about the hunter transition from factory ammunition to reloading for hunting and why we do it. Specifically, given factory ammunition will give the hunter typically one MOA. Is it that we don't like throwing away our brass? Uh, what are the pros and cons of reloading from a hunter-centric perspective, um, etc.? That's pretty much the... Oh, there's a bit more here. If the hunter is thinking about this transition, um, because of the many boxes of empty factory brass that he's got, what is the starting point for the hunter who is thinking about getting into re reloading and hunting? Now, I asked this question earlier um, whether any of you are reloaders. Mark, you're the closest thing to a reloader who's given up. That might answer the question. Um, most of my hunting friends are reloaders. Um, I um, confess to being too lazy to do it. Um, I 
I'm a deer hunter. Uh, you know, I'm not a um, feral controller. I'm not out there, you know, blazing away with, you know, 30 or 40 rounds a session uh, where you might be if you're culling things. Um, so by the time my rifle's zeroed in, then it might get maybe one or two rounds put through it. If we have a, a club day at the range, I'll put a couple through to participate. But if that doesn't happen, it goes back in the safe. And then the next time I go hunting, I put a round in it. And if I shoot a deer, I shoot a round. And I could use a box of ammo in three years in, under that scenario or more. So I don't see the cost benefit of reloading, given that if you find the right factory round for your rifle, and sometimes it can take a bit of time at the range to find the right one that suits your rifle, um, by the time you've found it, you know, we're looking for kill accuracy of a you know, a much larger area than if you're trying to put holes through your bullet holes at the range on paper, which is where I would see that you'd want to tune your, your round to your rifle even more. But you're not going to be getting that sort of consistency out of a hunting rifle because we're looking for super lightweight. You know, it's thinner metal. It's not a varmint barrel or it's not a, a range rifle. So I don't see the point personally. Lots of my friends do, and there's an argument to the other direction. That's my piece on that. Uh, what do you think, Zach? Yeah, it just depends on how much you're shooting, whether, you know, the time versus reward, really. You know, if you're shooting, like you said, you know, I'm a hunter as well, so I shoot, you know, maybe 20 rounds a year mm. out of that between, you know, in my deer hunting rifle anyway, so I don't really see the value in doing it, but I've got mates in New Zealand that set that spend close to $60,000 a year on reloading gear, you know, whether that's brass, projectiles, powder, all of that stuff. And, and what and do they do, Zach? What type uh, of hunter or shooter are they? They're farmers and hunters, but um, they just, you know, they're constantly reloading, you know. He's, he's getting three, four grand worth of powder every time it comes into the shop. You know, as soon as it gets, <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Mm. But um, it just depends on how much you're shooting. Over there, they've got bigger deer issues than than here so they go out and shoot 30 40 deer a night and yeah so that's a different mm. scenario right there yeah. in that culling rather than you know the the hunter that's chasing one trophy a year or you know a few meat deer a year things like that um yeah it's the same perspective that i've got um could i justify it? i think that the one thing that i would get out of reloading is understanding how projectile works better the mechanics of it why I would select one over another for long range versus up close. Could I use some of these subsonics for shooting around a dog, all of that sort of stuff. I think I'd get a lot of benefit out of that, but the cost benefit versus time, it just doesn't stack up for me. Yeah, look, there's there's lots of different, I suppose, wheel spinning in that whole area. One is that not too long ago, factory ammo was pretty crap, you know, mm. It was, and so, but even then, from a hunting perspective, it was okay. But any kind of shooting, especially competition shooting, the factory ammo itself wasn't wasn't, you know, tolerances were so broad that you had issues like that. Um, so even with a normal rifle, you could you could you know just like you know with, with Dylan's talking about tuning an arrow to a bow, you know, you tune you use use reloading to tune ammo to a rifle um and also you know it allowed you to play around with different projectile sizes with seating and so you, you know you could play around you could put 
larger, smaller, move around like that. And so there was lots of, I suppose, what most people who reload are is they're kind of like an enthusiast. They like it, you know. It's it's so they're kind of experimenting and they're they they're getting things right. So there's a there's a I suppose the practicality of it, but there's also the enjoyment component of it. Because I know a lot of people who reload, you know, and they spend a lot of time playing around. Mm. Then of course there's the people who basically shoot shoot bulk. Um, you know, mate shoots competition pistol, so you know he reloads and he'll he'll sit down and kind of go. I'm reloading this weekend and got, you know, reload literally thousands of rounds for the next season because that's what he's going to burn through. So, and, you know, and, and because he's shooting competition, he's shooting at a fixed range, he's basically detuning the ammo. So it does exactly what it does for, for you know, for, for a particular discipline. So, so you, that's what reloading does as well. For a hunter, um, you don't, that's uh, not true. For a hunter, the option of quality factory ammunition is a very good option. Okay, and I so I got into reloading, and I hate saying this, about thirty-five years ago, because when I first started shooting, I didn't. I I started myself. I was a self-starter, and for my twenty-first, so it wasn't thirty-five years ago. It's thirty-two years ago. My mum said, what do you want? And I said, I want a reloading thing. And I got this rock chucker with the scales and, and, and I had, I went, okay, what can I make here? You know, and there's, there's very good, you know, through luck, I hadn't blown myself up, you know, because I was just making stuff and, and I was doing a 3030. I was, you know, I was reloading 3030, which at the time, you know, which, 150 grain flat nose had no ballistic characteristics other than a brick anyway so i was just loading up and seeing what i could get out of it but it did you know as you it did give me a better understanding of ballistics and and you know projectile performance more recently um uh one of the suppliers gave said we want you to test some ammo for us and i said sure and i thought they were going to literally send me two boxes they sent me two crates. Mm. So they sent me a thousand rounds, two five hundred rounds. And I've still got like four hundred of those things that I'm shooting out of my hunting. And that was a number of years ago. And a couple of years ago, they sent me more. <laughs> so I've got I've got a I've got a safe that's an ammo safe. And there's about two thousand rounds of thirty cal in there that for both hunting rifles that you know. I literally would have to take up professional shooting to burn through. So for me, there's absolutely no need for it to do it. But, I mean, if you're a person who wants to go to the range and shoot lots, either reload, get into reloading, or buy a 223 or something like that, shoot that, that gives you the fun, the range shooting, because I did that for ages. I had a 223 that I only ever shot at range just for the fun of it. And for your hunting rifle, you'll probably find that, like most people, once you're dialed in your hunting rifle, you tend to kind of go, okay, I'll leave it like that. I might come back to it occasionally, might check it, you know, check it before I go out or something like that. But as you said, you don't really go through a lot of rounds in a hunting rifle. So good quality factory ammo is probably, you know, from a price point of view, you're probably going to have to spend, you're going to have to buy a lot of factory rounds to to balance the cost of buying all that reloading gear yeah and i was i was paying 
somewhere between $85 and $90 for a box of 20 uh, Hornady rounds that I was using for this for the rim mag. Um, and I thought, oh, man, they're expensive compared to the, the 270 But I was quickly stood up and said, it's, gonna, it's the cheapest part mm-hmm. of your hunting kit you'll ever buy, mate. <laughs> 80 bucks here when you've spent thousands of dollars on everything else. Forget about it. Move on, yeah. which I did, which we shall. Um, the other thing that you were alluding to before, Mark, in this uh, ADA mag, um, and um, this is not a uh, promotion for the ADA mag, by the way, but it just happens to have some good content in it. The unstated He's in pursuit. it, mate. That's what it is. <laughs> there I'm sitting here. Look at this. It's me in the middle. Good it's look. not about me. The unstated pursuit, if you listen to the Andrew Day um, podcast earlier on in our episodes, um, he uh, he talked about the mental health benefits of uh, of hunting and the great outdoors. And um, he got a write-up and, you know, to two-page write-up here in the Australian Deer Association mag. Uh, if you're not a member of the ADA, you don't get the hard copy. But you can go and download the the app I see for free and get all the content anyway. Oh, so go and download the Wild Deer app. I was sitting up in um, the high country in uh, Victoria chasing Samba, and I got a ding on my phone. I looked at my phone, and it was, an, it was a, a, an email that popped up that said, you can now download the app for the Australian Deer mag. Uh, so I did, and I sat up there and read the latest article while I was waiting for Samba. Samba Joe to come out and get nailed. Didn't happen, but I read the mag. Um, in that also, for your interest, Zach, is a article on bow fishing. Awesome. So as a segue that we were looking for, there all you about you, you, maybe you'll get something out of that for free on the app. Um, Mark? Yeah, let's talk about bow fishing. And this is purely selfish because I want to get into bow fishing. So <laughs> I thought, what I gonna, how do I do it? I know, what, I, I know someone runs a Facebook page called Bow Fishing Australia. There we go. <laughs> so, Zach, tell us about bow fishing. Well, well, Zach, tell us about yourself. Oh, no, Mark, Zach's <laughs> questions. Uh, look, let's move on. We've already been talking enough. Let's get into bow oh, fishing. Oh, I wanted to hear the questions. Oh, okay. We're going to do the questions. Okay. Shoot, okay. go to the questions, okay, man. Okay, questions. Rapid, this rapid is new. Fire. This is very, very new. No, it's not rapid fire. Don't work rapid fire. This is oh. new. Okay. I oh, let me find them. That's why I got my glasses on so I can read them. Okay. So, gentlemen, what is your favorite song playing on the radio or whatever you know device on the way to a hunt? You're driving on the way to a hunt. What's your favorite song? Um, I'm digging a song called uh, "Family Tree" by. Can't remember his name, but it's a country hunting family tree. Quick, he's writing that down. He's good. I'm going to answer this question as well. Um, The River by Blue Saraceno. Okay, there you go. It's a a great song. I'll probably pronounce it wrong. but Yeah, Family Tree by Dylan, someone, I believe. Okay. Uh, Most recent worst purchase. I'm not sure. I can be a bit stingy at time. I do a lot of research before I buy something. So yeah. What about you, Ann? I'm thinking. Um, I I got nothing. I bought. I'm the, I'm the same. The reason I did this one was I just did a new um, stereo in the car, and it's got voice activation now, but it came with a reversing camera. I just never look at that thing. <laughs> I'm reversing and like this light flashes on. I go, what's that? Oh, it's that bloody camera. <laughs> just go. Because they said, oh, do you want a reverse, reverse camera? I said, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Just 
completely oblivious to the thing when I use it. Mirrors, looking out the window. So, yeah. That's, that's uh, awesome. So, next question. I had to move the thing then. He's throwing me. Uh, okay. Um, do you drink coffee? Yes. Do you drink petrol Lots. station coffee? Yes. Does it yeah. have to have caramel in it? It has to be petrol Just station coffee. Just to mask the It flight. has to be one of those petrol station coffees. That's it. And if there's a barista in that petrol station, it doesn't count. It's got to be out of one of those oh, things. The machines. So that's it. Not a chance. The, the $3 large coffees. That's it. That stuff. Okay. <laughs> so we've got a yes. Um, if you could hunt with anyone, past, present, or future, they're alive, who is it? Uh, probably a pretty common answer would be the Stephen Ranella or uh, oh. probably Ben O'Brien. I don't know, Ben O'Brien. Who's Ben O'Brien? So he used to have a podcast. He used to work for Meat Eater. He used to have a podcast oh. called the Hunting Collective. Oh, and yeah. he's, he's got one coming out soon called uh, Woodside. And also he's got another one called Hunter and Vegan. So he's going to be having philosophical oh, discussions. That'll be oh, wow. That'll be very yeah. explosive. Yep. It's going to be really good. Okay. Uh, what about you? I'd want to I'd hunt with my dad. Oh, there you go. Unfortunately, yeah, he passed away when I was a young boy. I was uh, 13, but he was a deer culler in New Zealand during the deer culling days, and he would have a hell of a lot of stories to mm. tell. He was one of those blokes that would uh, own a campfire story. So I'd, I'd like to go back and find helicopter that. onto a few bags. Oh, no, no, yeah, no, no, it was a wild those man. Crazy kiwis. <laughs> yeah. right. Ham and cheese, tasty. Tomato or no tomato? Tomato, 100%. I'm going to say however it comes. Oh, okay. Normally when I'm chasing a hand and cheese toasty, it's desperate days. <laughs> okay. There we go. That's the five deep and meaningful questions that we need to have. I feel like we know you now, Zach. That's it. <laughs> Service station buckets of coffee. <laughs> All about the caffeine, man. Yeah. Only thing that keeps me going. Okay. So let's segue from service station coffee into zach telling us about yourself um your hunting and of course dot 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 bow hunting fishing so i'm a 28 year old hunter from adelaide south australia um mm -hmm. i've been hunting longer than i can remember um i first started going out you know probably three four years old with my grandfather um, my parents split when i was quite young so I'd go stay at my grandparents' house every fortnight. So I grew up fishing, hunting, shooting. Uh, you know, I couldn't couldn't even tell you the age I shot my first firearm because it's <laughs> I, I would have been way too young. But um, <laughs> it would have been over twelve. Let's let's say that's, that. absolutely that's, that's over twelve because it's younger in South Australia. Oh, okay. It's, 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 it's just over whatever that's that right. It's is. a day after the legal age. This is a long, long time ago. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I I got out of shooting a little bit through my teenage years, and then um, my I went out bow fishing with my dad, my biological dad, and um, yeah, I just got the hook. And passion again for hunting and all things, all things archery, all things bow hunting, and then yeah, progressed into rifles again. So I've got a mixed bag of rifles and bows. I think in this room here that I'm in, I've got about 13 bows at the moment and seven, eight firearms. Um, 
Yeah, what's so the, what's the go-to bow at the moment? I've got a PSC NTN Evo, two thousand eighteen, I think. Uh, Seventy pound. I think uh, five eighty grain arrows. Yep. So wow, that's man. I, I I'm I've just got into bows again, and oh, yeah, I've I'm, been watching, man. I've been watching. Yeah. And um, but yeah, Split I actually and half the yeah, um, I actually the, the guy down a few doors down the road, he's he's also a, 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 a XR. He, well, he stopped, but he's got he's getting back in it because he's now got the range at our place, and he brought his compound, and I used a, um, a release aid the first time ever a couple of weeks ago. That's certainly very different. Yeah. So was it a uh, thumb release or a finger? Uh, so upside down and kind of like yep. a little trigger came down that way. So it wasn't one of those kind of round ones. No, yeah, it was like a little trigger came down. Trigger, yeah. On the compound. Yeah. How'd you find that versus the... Uh, oh, it's... Well, one, it was remarkably easy compared to, <laughs> to, to an off-the-shelf recurve. You know, it took me like three arrows to figure out the pins. Yeah. I went, oh, okay, because, you know, he said put that pin on there and it wasn't right because he, you know, just simply because we're different different height and all that stuff. But once I figured out, oh, okay, that means that, you're starting to slam them in. So, yeah. A little but bit that, faster than the recurve, eh? Yeah, it also, shoot, yeah, it felt very different. The whole lot felt very, very different. Um, uh, you know, the release aid was really weird because I was kind of, Overconscious of touching that trigger, so you know yeah. I kind of was doing this weird kind of getting every finger out of the way, so I didn't touch it until it was ready to go because I was surprised how light it was. Yeah, um, but um, so yeah, it was, it was very very interesting. Um, You're a brave was... man doing it in town. <laughs> when, I bought, when I bought my first compound, I, I had a little range in town, and we had corrugated iron fencing all around the yard. Felt safe. But when one of them accidentally went off, went through the corrugated iron, two layers of corrugated iron, stripped the fletchings, went straight across the road and threw the neighbor's corrugated iron fence and somewhere into his yard, which one day he delivered back to me once he realised that I was the bow guy. Oh, I freaked out and stopped shooting in, in town. Uh, yeah, it's just... Yeah, always make sure you got a good backstop. A couple oh, of but um, even if you uh, do, mine, you know, if you're, if you're three quarters out. drawn and your delete lets go or... <laughs> Something inevitably happens, and poof, off she goes. Man. Yeah, a D loop letting go is not fun. No, myself in the face <laughs> times. It, it's it's my version of a flinch with a rifle, because it smacked me in the face a couple of times, <laughs> and now to the point where I went stuff this. I'm going to go get a recoup. It's less dangerous. <laughs> I can't I can't you know have cables coming off cams and all of that. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm nearly scared of it, but I picked it up again recently, and I've been. I've, I, I love shooting it, but in the back of my mind, I'm always ready to cop a fistful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's well, not... my, my oldest wants one, and I said, "No, you can buy that yourself. I'll buy you a, a recurve bow." I got a nice little uh, compound here that my seven we got for my seven year old for his fifth birthday. He hasn't picked it up too much, but um, mm. it's a it's a decent little bow for for the price. Little compound. Yeah, I got a little suction cap one for my for Christmas for my four year old, and he goes out into the shed and shoots the fridge. My <laughs> almost two year old just nails gonna, the fridge. My almost two year old, he just got a suction cap bow too for Christmas. Oh, what are you <laughs> saying? My son's um, slow developer. 
No, my boys, no, they, they're not slow, mate. They're just, you know, building up to it. Not two-year-old archers. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, I took my boys when they were fishing at two. Fishing at two, but not archery. Well, just, yeah. well, I didn't have a boat, but, but no, we weren't thinking about that. We are fishing at two. Ollie, my yeah. boy's two-year-old, Um, yeah, he's he's been fishing since a couple months old. And yeah. I've got a, a backpack that he goes in, so I'll take him out checking the trail cameras and I'll take the recurve bow out and don't expect to see much, but it's good no. taking him out. He's got his little camos. I'll say to him, Ollie, go get your camos. Then he'll run out to his room, grab his box of camos, run down to my hunting room. Oh, Zave's the same. He loves it. He goes and gets his camo gear that we bought from mm. hunting and fishing or something. And Yep, it's, uh, it's hilarious. Yeah. Little yeah, brains. Well, the eldest, you know, he's wearing the fleece now. Yeah. And I'm, going, mate, I'm, a, I'm, sweating, I'm sweating looking at him going, mate, please. But he goes, oh, let's go for a walk, Dad, up the bush. It's okay. He goes, and then the first thing he does is put on Crocs and a fleece camo top. And I just go, mate, put some shoes boy. on and take that thing off. You're making me hot just looking at you. My young boy, so, I don't care. They talk about colours and rainbows and everything. What's your favourite colour, Zaid? I like blue. But my daddy's favourite colour is camo. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so whenever the two-year-old sees anything camo, he's like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It is. Very good. So, yeah, uh, to continue on, but uh, I'm taking both from for deer. Well, we're going deer hunting, and they're both coming along this year in uh, June, July. So it'll be there. Because we've got a property down that we visit down in New South Wales that's really good for them. Uh, it's got a little hut on it, so it makes life a lot a bit lit a lot easier. So I'm taking gonna take both from this year, see how we go. Mm. So well, I, won't, be, I, I won't be hunting for the next three or four years. So that's I'll just be pointing them uh, out and sending them a mate off. You go shoot them. Well, no, I know. See, right right or wrong, I did that last year with Mr. Three Year Old. Um we drove the seven hours or whatever it was down to Nundle, had the camper, was there for a week in the you know, this the state hunt camp and I didn't get to go hunting because I was throwing rocks in the in the water all the time. <laughs> You know, what do you want to do today, son? Throw rocks in the pond, Dad. All right, let's go throw <laughs> rocks in the pond. So we just about filled that pond up, mate. <laughs> so we're running out of rocks. Well, anyway, so this year he said, "When are we going hunting again, Dad?" I said, "Well, mm-hmm. I said, oh, when, when it gets it. cold, when it gets cold." But this year I've devised a plan, and I'm taking him on a pre-scout. I've got to go and get some trail cams up down in the forest. So I'm going to go down there three or four weeks before the hunt. He can come with me then, and he'll think that mm. we've done it. He's not listening. Can't trick him. No. My oldest, my oldest is, you know, he he's very keen to hunt. He, he gets you get about three hours out of him before he, he runs out of energy, but um he's very keen for it. So he you know he'll come out. He's quiet, and actually you can tell when he's getting tired because he gets talkative. You know, so he he starts getting noisy. Mm. Um, but the youngest one, he's seven, and I think he's going to be he's he's a ball of energy. So I think it'll it'll well we I'll just be saying to Tim, mate, they're up there. You go. <laughs> Give us a give us a wave when you get on. We'll drive up and pick you up and bring the truck up and get them to haul the meat out. So it'll, it'll be interesting. Um, no, you'll have some help. Yeah, and that's yeah. it, you big lads. I'm looking forward to the day that they can set up camp and drive me down and carry out for me and stuff like that. I found spotlighting is a great a great start for the the young one. Like I've taken the seven year old out a couple of times. We t- Took a nice fallow buck a couple of years back together, and that was really exciting. But mm. enjoy sitting in the car and going out spotlighting. Yeah, that yeah, probably would work that. really now. Yeah, that would put, be. Yeah, put blankets and pillows in the back seat, snacks, donuts, 
you know. Oh. Righto. <laughs> Don't let your children listen to this. They'll put a, a warning on the front of this podcast. That's right. <laughs> Do not say this this podcast sets expectations that you might not be able to meet as a father. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Anyway, let's stop talking about that before we get in trouble. Uh, where'd we get to? Um you, you um you, you went out with your, your father and went bow fishing. Yeah. So went out bow fishing. Yeah, about uh I would have been about 16 and then uh, had a pretty successful day, you know, probably eight or 10 fish. Um, went back, started watching a bunch of bow fishing, uh, bow hunting videos. A bloke called Casey McCullum from South Australia. He's actually uh, taken both, like the whole Australian New Zealand slam with a bow, respectable animals from each, each one, just an insane Australian bow hunter. So watching those videos just got me absolutely absolutely hooked um is a youtuber no so he's got a little bit of youtube but he had um dvds back in the day he's um uh uh, last time i spoke to him he was a professional kangaroo color but um i think his partner lives in new zealand now so he spends majority of his time over there Mm. but i can understand um but yeah so i just got hooked started jumping on facebook pages um just practicing with the bow lots and lots um and yeah, just finding everything I could about everything, goats, fallow, everything in my area, started finding hunting properties. Um, my dad gave me a secondhand, old, old school secondhand compound bow. I went out and just fluke, took a fallow doe with a mate. Absolutely fluke, like just didn't know much about what I was doing, um, you know. But um, yeah, after that, I got hooked. Dad gave me a better compound bow and then started putting more more time into shooting, took a goat and, yeah, just more animals added up every year since until I had kids. Mm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and now it's slowed down, has it? Just a little bit, but as soon just as they're old enough, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ramp back up, I reckon. Yeah, yeah you can sort of sense that. Uh, so, and you're still down in South Australia? Yep, still down yep. in South Australia. So with your most, so I'm, I'm assuming then if you're in South Australia, you're shooting private property most, yep, or, or yep. most definitely private property. Um, is so the the what's the reg or is there regulation around you know bow fishing in South Australia? So bow fishing in South Australia is only the backwaters of the Murray River for okay. carp during daylight hours. Um, the one of the rules is you have to be le- like more than 50 metres away from someone else doing recreational activities, whether it's mm-hmm. fishing, all of that, which is pretty easy to do. Um, yeah. The backwaters, you know, not many people are out out there. So you get onto a good patch of carp during, you know, September when they're spawning, you'll um, be on them all day. And I see you you shoot from, from a kayak as well. Yep, yep, take the kayak out just to get to some of that deeper water. I got sick of trenching through shoulder-deep water and drawing back the bow when you're shoulder-deep in water and then, like, doing yoga to shoot shoot the fish, you know, you're on. <laughs> so you shoot them horizontally, basically. Oh, it's, yeah. Talk me through yeah. that. Talk me through that. That doesn't, make, that doesn't work in my head. So you sh- you're how deep in water? Shoulder-deep shoulder in water. So you're actually, your bow's underwater? No, so I'm holding it above my head. I'm drawing like that and then coming down the angle 
trying and not to get it. trying not to get it underwater but just getting enough angle so i could shoot the fish off the surface because carp tend to surface feed quite a bit yeah and during the summer months they'll have their back out out the water like that so if you get the right angle you can kind of get that arrow through them <laughs> that, that sounds cool skimming yeah. stone basically yeah exactly you yeah. just have to get that right angle otherwise you are skimming us skimming the arrow are you shooting at compound or recurve when you do that both i've got a two compound setup and two recurve setup okay is there a, a difference or is it just just you, you just got you like you like gear okay so um, the the standard things that difference between compound and a recurve also especially if you're bank shooting you can draw and hold for longer because mm. the fish they tend to go down and then back up down and then back up oh, okay so if you're in real murky water which pretty much all the um pretty much you draw because they're ducking up and down up and down up and down so you can hold it for longer where with a recurve you can't really hold it as long as you need to sometimes so and also deeper water as well so recently i went to a spot that had crystal clear backwater because the murray's got quite a bit of flow at the moment mm. but i was shooting fish five foot down and i had the the compound and the recurve and yeah i just couldn't get that arrow down deep enough with the, with recurve. the recurve yeah, yeah. gee that must have some um refraction too at that yeah. depth you'd be, you'd be like it's there but i'm actually shooting over there type thing that would be yes. amazing so the yeah. best way to describe it is if you put a pencil into a into a cup of water and the pencil will be looking mm. like that so mm, yeah. when you think you're low enough aim lower so you must just get the knack of that after not too long surely yeah it's like it's like leading a bird right exactly with the shotgun mm. or a clay yeah. target yeah yeah, you just have to, like, you. it's okay when they're on the surface because it's not a big issue to aim lower. But as soon as they're under the surface, yeah. it's fraction can be a bitch. Yeah, it would be, yeah. And, and the deeper you go, the, the, yeah, it'd be really quite interesting. Because one of our, again, it's Michael, one of our listeners, he, because he went down to Severn, he, he went to a, there's a, uh, I think it's called the Severn Weir or something like that. Yeah. It's a little, it's a, it's, it's, it's not, it's a campground, but it's, there's nothing there. It's just a space on the river that it's, it's about hundred meters off the road. If that, you just literally off the Bruxner highway and it goes down to a, uh, a weir, which is actually, you can drive across at the right, if it's not flooded, but there was a heap of carp there. And he was saying, you know, that the late, you could see them. Yeah, he sent a photo and you could see them on top of the water. As you said, you yeah. know, they're, they're literally out of the water there. So I thought, oh, well, there you go. Cause you know, you now can shoot or you can bow fish in New South Wales now in the backwaters as well. So the very upsetting thing with that is, yes, they brought in freshwater bow fishing for carp in New South Wales, but in the same space, they took away saltwater bow fishing in New South Wales. Oh, okay. So Didn't you even... used to be able to saltwater bow fish in New South Wales for sharks, stingrays and ah, other, other species. I know that. So and they've... You can't do that anymore what from my understanding. So in the sat at the exact same time they've given you something, they've mm. taken away from them as well, which is very upsetting. I did, not did you know do that. much of that yourself? Saltwater bow fishing? Yeah. No, I haven't. It is um it is high on my list. You're Queensland, aren't you, Mark? Yeah. So you can saltwater bow fish from my understanding. So you can go out and target sharks and rays out in the in the salt flats. 
Really? Yes. Man, because you go down the Broadwater, you basically you're just stepping on stingrays. Yeah, so I'm not sure exactly where oh, like, what your full regulations are, but I know you can saltwater bowfish and stingrays. Um, I'm not sure if you know John O. Roberts at all. He's a he was from New South Wales. He's moved up to Queensland. Um, he does quite a bit of saltwater bow fishing, um, and he makes it's stingray a weird state, a very weird state, <laughs> because you know you can't walk down the local park and just start shooting your bow and arrow, can you? No. But, so but you can walk out on the salt. You can go to a sports ground that has facilities and do it. Yeah. But you can just walk out on the off the beach and into the water and start plugging away at stingrays? Yeah, I'm not sure how Don't I. Go Don't I. if you went, you know, if you're if you're on the Gold Coast and you just yeah, start down in Noosa. <laughs> <laughs> down at Doggy <laughs> Beach. Yeah. Great. Well, that's it. Well, we, we when we go fishing with the boys, we go out in the boat, we usually go out in the broadwater, which is, you know, right there on the coast. And, you know, and there's just you go out low tide and you just you know, stingray, stingray. They're just everywhere. They're just everywhere and you know some of them are fairly fairly hefty too you know you get a lot of the little dinner plate ones but every so often you you know i'll say to the boys oh look there's one and you know even when you're pumping yabbies you know they're 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 that prolific that sometimes they're actually between you and the bank yeah there's so many of them you'll you'll be waiting a little bit and you're like oh i've actually got one between me and the bank it's actually gone around me on the on the shallow side well, now you know what to do. Yeah, didn't know that. Get a fishing reel. Make sure you look into the regulations of where you can and can't. Mm. A lot of times it's like um, mouth of a river. Yeah. You can't do it. It's very similar to spear fishing laws. Yes. Majority I would of so, that's yeah. You eating stingray, Mark? Uh, yes, I have. Parts of it, not all of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I it's interesting. It's a, it's a very stringy meat from what i've had but i've only cooked it up on a campfire on, on the it. beach um but yeah from what i've heard it makes phenomenal luxa so you know the, oh, okay. the asian soup yeah probably would do because it's you know it's just that yeah yeah that's it i've had it campfire which is you know never a never a great way of, of determining its real value but yeah I've, I've done that a few times you know we've had stingrays and just literally prepped them up and, and cooked them on the beach so straight mm. on the coals yeah yeah i didn't know that at all that's really weird yeah i've heard i've heard they taste all right but I've, i don't think i've ever tried them mm. i'll put it on the list well it is i've got a well i've got a um i've got a an older recurve that i, I, I want to try and turn into a, a, a a bow fishing rig and it was primarily to go down to Severne, but hang on <laughs> <laughs> so i've seen an actually really interesting setup for traditional bows and recurve guides that don't have a screw point for a mm. rig. you yeah. get a, um, a piece of wood about yay long and you screw the reel into it lock it off and then you just hold it on the front of the bow and then you can shoot shoot like that I'll have to find the diagram, but it, um, I can see how that would work. Yeah. So yeah, That's the, uh, the the dodgy way of doing it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, one of the one of the one of the big brands, and I can't think of their name now because I've been chatting to them. They make a um, basically, they make a, a, a leather strap that goes around. It's kind of like it's a rubberized yeah. twin rubber strap that has just basically a plate with a with a 
with with a mounting point into it, and then you can you just literally lash that to your bar, and Is then that you go, AMS. That's probably them, yeah. Yeah, they got that. There's an average Joe way to get into it, by the sounds of it, without having to go and buy specific oh, bows. There's, there's lots of ways you can turn okay. an old water bottle into into a front front reel for a recurve. Not so much a compound, but yeah, there's there's lots of DIY ways of getting into it. Mm. Um, and do you, am I right in uh, understanding that Bowfishing Australia is a Facebook page that you run? Yeah, yeah, I started. Okay, that. is that sort of stuff on there for me to find? It it can be. Um, can be. As you ask the questions, I've got a uh, actually a guy in Queensland that's uh, that's quite good. Josh Brown, he helps helps run the, run the group, and he posts lots of lots of stuff like that, how to get into it, and. Mm. Interesting. He sounds, he sounds a man I need to talk to. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to send send yeah. him away on the group. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Mark, the um the bow fishing is part of um uh, the R licensing now. Well, I don't know if it's part of the R license or whether it's just a it's now legal to bow fish in New South Wales. Um, is that for only for carp as well? Do you know? I'm assuming it, it's, it, you can't go chasing Murray cod and things no. like that. It's very similar to what Zach was saying. So it's it's backwater or whatever that I don't even know what that really means, but it's certainly, you know, it's 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 yeah, backwater and it's for carp, yeah. So it's seen as I think, you know, a, a, a pest mitigation. Yeah. Approach. So backwaters are pretty much just so you've got the mainstream mm. and then all the floodplains on the side of that the mainstream are the clusters of backwater. So that's that's what we call backwaters up down here yeah okay well that's good because when i first decided that i wanted to uh, do some freshwater fishing in australia because everyone talked about freshwater fishing here and you see murray cod photos and and coming from new zealand the only thing i really caught out of the freshwater was a trout or an eel um you know you've got some pretty cool freshwater fish in this country um i decided to rig up and because i traveled a lot for work and i'd cross rivers and I said oh, i'll just pull up here and i'll throw I went down on the side of this river underneath a bridge. It had all of this gear that I'd just gone and bought. I could see the fish doing exactly what you said they were doing. They were coming up and they were going down. I got to club the thing to death with my shoe, <laughs> but I couldn't catch the bloody thing on a line. Now, I reckon I could do it with a bow. This is exciting for me. I've got to have a crack. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, that 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 that's the kind of... that was That's my idea. That, you know, I, I don't know if I'd get in this full time, but I'd love to... Well, I mean... There's a bow in my truck right now, yep. so I'd, I'd I'd like to have that bow to have a reel on it. So, <laughs> so because sure. a lot easier. Here we go. This is what we want. Oh, crossbow fishing! Now oh god. Mm. So that's the that's the bow set up there. So there, the my fishing oh, boats yep. there. Oh, yeah. Reels, crossbow. It's just a hunting bows. Yeah. Now are so they, that, are they uh, Zach made rigs or are they um, are they purchased specifically bow hunting rigs? They're purchased. So the bow yep. fishing the bow fishing reels um, are pretty much run all AMS gear by the looks of it. So yep. one second, what I'll do for you. Yeah, so that was my idea. Just have it in the truck. Oh look. Look at that. I'll just check this creek out. Oh, look at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so, allowed. 
if you can see there, that's the reel. It yep. mounts onto pretty oh, much yeah. where your site goes. So you can mount it onto a site. So I still run a site on here in case I run into rabbits and hares and foxes while I'm out. Um, and what you put the you and then you reel them in. I'll I'll carry another another arrow. <laughs> you got a fox on. But uh, this one here is like a harpoon head. So yep, it's got the three prongs yep. close, open and close on there. Goes through the fish, opens out. Yeah, fish can't get off the arrow. It's got a so pretty much you think of a drag setup. This has got a free flowing drag the whole time until you pull in the lever, and then that's how yeah. you find fish and you wheel it in, in like that. But then you yeah. can also have a reel that mounts onto the front of the bow. Yeah, that screws into where the stabilizer goes. That tends to be your more common one, cheaper yep. one. That's the yeah. one I've seen. Yeah. And it, yeah, just, yeah. it just spools off, doesn't it? It just feeds out off. the front. So yeah. how do you... How, like one of those so kids' reels. That you they, just hand over hand retrieve, do you? Yeah, like a hand unlock, like a hand reel. You either yeah. put it down on the ground and just pull the line Yeah, in. that's right. You literally you, just grab the line and, and say you're not actually... Yeah. not. It's not a... It's, yeah. It's yeah. not a reel. It's just basically a line holder type thing. But it works. You can get the bigger ones for the saltwater mm. stuff. So if you were looking at doing the, doing the saltwater stuff, chasing the stingrays and the sharks and... So with the um, with the uh, a setup for a recurve, do you have to have an arrow rest? How does no, that you work? Can, you can shoot off the shelf. Um, there's a bunch of different ways. Depends depends if you've got like a more modern recurve or you've got a traditional style recurve. But yeah, most of the time you can just shoot off the the rest. But um, I run a whisker biscuit on my recurve, mm. so just. Holds the arrow in nice. So, so yeah, so but somehow still that that ring's got to sit there in front of it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the arrow also has a has a safety slide on it. Yeah. So if you can see yep. that yep. line there, so that that runs up and down the arrow, so that way it doesn't come back at you. Um, yeah. It's 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 not a fun experience if you get to the end of the line and then you see the arrow coming back at you. It's oh. you're a twelve hundred grain arrow. Oh, you'll but, end up like our mate Tony with something stuck through your hand. Yeah, poor Tony. Poor Tony. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one way to catch a shark. Use yourself. Yeah, mate. Oh, that's right. I thought. <laughs> yeah, I thought. Well, you know, that's what I, I love how he said. So when he got back to shore, they fished for a couple more hours. <laughs> As he went, you, oh, I, I, you know, I, I drove all this way, so I might as well stay and have a fish before I go to just cut it off and pull it back out. But and um, then he then he gets turned away for surgery because he doesn't have his results back yet. Results <laughs> to, back. Yeah. Oh no! What COVID results? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> They wouldn't operate on the poor bastard because he didn't have his results, and he was like an hour into his drive there. Right, he was he, he the, because you know the the quality of gear he's using the bolt the bolt cutters wouldn't even you know wouldn't even scratch the hook. The old <laughs> idea, you know, you cut the hook and you pull it through. No, no way. That's 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 no, stone. That, 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 it was a pretty solid hook. Yeah. So he's just there. Anyway, I wouldn't want oh. that coming back at me. Um, no. On an arrow shaft. It could be dangerous, right? So, what sort of what sort of um, range do you tend to have on the spool? Look, you can shoot five, ten meters. Some people more, um, but I'll 
like hunting, I like to get close. You know, that is close. Even, yep. even with a rifle, I'm not shooting a deer under two hundred, over a two hundred meters with a rifle. Yeah. You know, my most recent recent deer with the three hundred was eighty. Hmm. You know, so I'm, that's pretty <laughs> typical. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm, uh, if I can get close, you know that old saying: if you can get ten meters close, go get get closer. Keep getting closer. Keep yeah, closer, yeah. yeah. So I wade out into the water a lot of the times, and you know, sometimes I'm ten centimeters from the carp's head when I shoot. You know, I've got Jeez. that arrow. <laughs> Well, and 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 that and they're not phased by that. Yeah, it's stalking, man. It's it's same aspect as stalking a deer. So everything that you use in hunting, you can use on hunting fish. Fascinating. But yes. the only difference is they get all the ripples of you walking. So if you're walking too fast, yeah. or you stumble over because you can't see what you're stepping on. Mm. There's rocks. There's twigs. There's all sorts. Like. The amount of times I've waded waded into some muddy areas, I do not want to know what's what's in that water, you know. <laughs> no, well, you're not in croc country, so you're yeah, that's right. Okay, that's right. But yeah, still, that's... I I, uh, I didn't think, you know, I mean, um, it's just the naivety of it. I had no idea that there was more to it than plugging them from the banks of the river. Oh, look, if if you're getting into bow hunting. The one thing, like if, if I'm taking someone new out, the best way I vet them I've found is take them both. <coughs> and that, that's how I decide if I'm going to take someone actually hunting or not. Mm. If they can listen while they come out bow hunting, uh, bow fishing, and they've got some idea of what they're actually doing when you come out, that's I've found the best way to vet them. But if you want to get into bow hunting and you can bow fish, get out there. Go bow fish. Because you're going to learn how to hold, you're going to learn how to shoot, you're going to learn how to instinctively shoot better, you're going to work out ranges, how your arrow flies, you're going to work out how to stalk, you're going to, you know, because fish can see you. If you're on the edge and you're moving too fast, they spook, Mm. they're like a torpedo through the water. I'm not sure if you've seen a carp take off in, in shallow water. It just looks like a torpedo shooting through the water. Well, so I fished for carp in the UK back in 96. Because, you know, carp over there are like, you know, they're, they're this Price really fish. prized fish. You know, yeah, really, yeah. they catch them and they, you know, they, they gently ease them back in the water, you know, and it'll be a fish that like five blacks are caught and it'll be, you know, old Blinky or something. It'll have a name. They all have Why, the same. You know, that's right. He's got this name and we go put it back in the water and it's, it's just ridiculous. And my my um one of my cousins was a carp fisherman, and they basically use like you know surf rods, yeah, huge rods, and because it's so slow, it's kind of like in a lot of ways it's like you know how to get away from the family for the weekend. You go down to this, you and they have they have big camps, and they put them out, and the stands have got little um little uh, alarms on them. Yeah. So they put two rods out on these double stands and they've got a little electric alarm that goes on the line. So as soon as the line starts going, it goes beep, 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 beep. Some of them have and flick backs. As soon as they get yeah. a, the rod yeah. flicks back, it's on a spring system. Yeah. So fish. But they spend thousands on chasing and they, Yeah, And they have, you know, the, these tents that they, they're kind of open-ended tents so they can kind of like a beach shelter but, yeah. you know, more insulated. So they get inside there and they just sit down on the on the on on the stretcher and they just basically drink beer and watch line and go out and catch fish. But this, my cousin, he, he was back in 96, he was a, 
you know, more of a active carp fisherman and he used to go pursue them where you weren't allowed to go like in botanic garden stuff. And there's, I'll see if I can find it. There's a photo of me in this botanic garden sitting on a, on a lounge, freezing myself. <laughs> waiting to catch this stupid bloody goldfish come up that never turned up, you know. And they got the little corn launchers going and all this stuff to get them in there, but that didn't they didn't turn up. But yeah. It's a funny it's a different way of fishing, that's for sure. It is, and they're very serious about their oh, cup. Like man. They're, they're a protected species over there. Mm. And I wow. made I made the wrong mistake by joining a bunch of UK fishing group carp fishing groups. Oh yeah. Posting a bunch of bow fished carp on there. Yeah, you know, good. I've got good. One, one photo of me, and I'm in front of 80 carp, just that we both fished all on the bank. <laughs> I yeah, I got kicked out of that group pretty quick because they they weren't happy. I'm like, I mean, like a really I, interesting community of people. I mean, I'd know a whole lot more about bow fishing if I was allowed into your group, but I haven't been accepted yet, so I haven't been able to look at your photos. Uh, mind you, that's only like maybe three minutes hold my request um but i like to look at these things while we're chatting um wh what happens to the fish here i understand that because they're a pest you can shoot them but you're not allowed to eat them you're not allowed to put them back you're not putting them back anyway when you're you're them through the sun. you are allowed to eat them yeah yeah there's there's no laws on eating carp there are up you, here. you're just not allowed to return them you're just not allowed to re re return them you can eat oh, them. there were there were laws up here that you can't now that no. may be wrong now but the reason i say that is because uh, I did a lot of work for a company out west here that had a lot of transient labour um, coming in, and like they bring whole families of um, of people in from either Indonesia or Samoa or uh, I'm gonna say somewhere Asian more than yeah. Ireland, and they were forever getting in trouble for pulling the carp out, even though even though they were they were allowed to pull them out of the weir. They weren't allowed to eat them. They had to club them and throw them. And that was that was the police were always calling this company saying, you know, just politely, your boys are down on the wear again. You know they're not allowed to do it. I don't know if that's changed. I could be completely wrong, but I'm mm. I was I was quite sure that in that's Queensland strange. you weren't allowed to eat carp. I, yeah. I don't know about that one. I know you've never been allowed, you know, the idea is you are what you were doing when you were fishing was your pest control. So you, mm. it had you, you know, you got to get in trouble would be to return it to the water. Yeah, even yeah. dead. The idea is it had to be up on the bank. You know, you you had to get it out of the water. So that was the only. I didn't. I didn't know about um. Some of the red chloro in, in the dams. Didn't know about eating them, and and you, you know, got to pull them out. Yeah, that's it. So I, I didn't know about eating them. We but might have our, our first new subject of the next podcast will be retractions. <laughs> yeah, first of all, that, that'll that. be it a long. That's going to be a long me, podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, look, they they're a delicacy through all of Asia. You can eat them. I've turned mm. them into fish cakes. I've cooked them up yeah. for people. I've Kentucky fried them. Um, that's like my go-to. So they're good. They're okay. They're okay. like any. They're like kind of a lot of freshwater fish you know they the 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 flesh reflects the 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 environment in which you find them in they're bony yeah. um they tend to be muddy like mm. germans they'll brine them before they eat them or they'll put them in fresh water yeah um you know 
Mm. And like I was one of the podcasts I did. His uh, German German background. He moved to America, but Christmas carp was there. Like you know, that's their big Christmas dish is carp. Oh, so really? okay. These carp, and I'd put them in the bathtub for a month before they just yeah. to just soak to, them out to, of the mud. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's it. They, fish tend to taste like what they come out of. So as well, you know, fresh saltwater fish always taste really good because they come out of the salt. But yeah, yeah. they get they're muddy. It's I like heard that. Yeah. Virgin yabbies, like yeah. Best, but not so much good. with Murray Cod, right? Are they because they're in a, a more of a flowing river? So they're, they're protected much. down here. We can't take them. We're not legally allowed to take them out of the water. We can target them, but we oh. can't take them out of the you water. You need to come up to us. We'll take your cod fishing. And yeah. yes, catch and release is a great idea, but they're one of the nicest eating fish. Oh, I bet. I bet. And oh. their skin crackles like pork crackling. Like they're a, they're a great eating fish. Um, I love golden perch. We call mm, them yep. down here. But um, but when you come to Queensland, from the adaf.qld.com.au website, .gov.au website, carp are a Category 3, 5, 6, and 7 restrictive invasive fish under the Biosecurity Act. Using carp for any reason, such as eating or using as fertiliser, is not permitted in Queensland. There you go. Yep. Wow. That's... Can't eat them. Well, no, you yeah. can't see it. There it is. There's <laughs> proof, for the, proof for the listeners. Same. There you go. Pause. You say anything it's, retarded. it's retarded. That's... Yeah, that's that's insane. Because like, they they didn't no want people they didn't want people getting a taste for what was supposed to be a, a, a delicacy in other countries, and then restocking the waterways with an invasive pest. No idea was what I was told. But anyway, no that's Queensland. We have the weirdest things. Go down to go down the noose of the waterfront and and plug away at rays, <laughs> but do not eat the carp. Like they're they're dangerous. I, it's even, I mean, there's. I wonder why you can't use them for fertilizer. Because I mean, that's a, that's what Charlie Carp is. Yeah, they that's don't, that's they don't want they don't want people restocking use, the rivers. Yeah, that, that's why people for, use them. Yeah, yeah, yeah they get used for cray bait down here. They get used mm. for crab bait, um, shark fishing because they're an oily fish. Yeah, so go yeah. catch them in the backwaters. And and it's right. It'd be, it'd be quite a good slab too. Yeah, yeah. But if you think about it, Mark. Um, so we've got this. Um, this pest species uh, in Queensland, and um, we're not allowed to utilize it. Sound like any other species we got? Sounds like everything. Sounds like every species that we've got running around <laughs> in our bush and our rivers. Queensland's got some weird rules, and we'll just leave that at that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of pests that we should be u- utilizing that we can't, and the ones that, you know, that's it. That's it. Mm. <laughs> we'll get crazy. someone from DAF on to talk to us about it. That'll crazy, be a fun discussion. Mm. Um, so, so, bow fishing is great. Uh, I'm keen to have a crack at it, but outside of that part of your world, you're obviously a hunter. Yeah, uh, not just for fish. What's your preference? Uh, if you're not bow fishing, are you, are you picking the rifle up, or are you still preferencing the bow for for hunting deer and, and and various other things? Depends, man. Like if I need meat for the freezer, I'll grab the rifle. Mm. If I want the challenge of just going for a nice bush walk with a bow, and hopefully running into a deer, I'll take the bow. Um, you know, it just depends on the weather, the winds of my property, all of that stuff. Um, you know, coming up to the rut, I'll, I've got a bow-only property, and then I've got one that I'll take bow and rifle, but it tends to be more open, so I tend to use the rifle more out there. Yeah, so fair enough. I chase goats, I chase deer, rabbits, hares, foxes, cats. Um, if you can see that there. 
That's a <laughs> cat skin stubby holder. <laughs> that, did you show that to the cat group you joined? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> after the, after being kicked off the cat group, I joined the cat lovers group and showed them my, my stubby holder. Did I did I did I mention old mate um and and the dog on the last podcast? No, I don't. Well, maybe you did, but I can't remember. Uh, I won't say his name because he'd shoot me if I did. But um, I think he was. The story went something like um, he was asked by uh, a friend of his to put his pet dog down, and um, he basically said that you should go away. You don't want to be part of this process. It's your loving family pet, etc. I'll take care of it. He now has a husky skin on the end of his bed. <laughs> can you? That's a true can, story. That's a true can story. you imagine them kind of coming to his house and going, "Oh, I just need to go to the toilet and open the wrong door up and go." <laughs> got this beauty. Oh, oh, you're shocking. So, that's a cat skin cat hat. Yeah. One of our famous South Australians, Barry from Kangaroo Island. He traps cats and Yeah, yeah, that guy, yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> so that's that's oh. handmade from him, same as the stubby holder. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm quite vocally um a, a cat uh, hater um to anyone that might might um might want to listen. Like I said, my son went to daycare and and, and said that dad's favourite colour was camo. When they were talking about animal noises and dogs go Wolf and you know cows go moo. Well, cats go splat or oh, bang. Neighbors, they're the, they're cats the two noises. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, for you, Zach, that's kind of uh, well. I suppose it's one of your claims to fame, isn't it? The, yes. the Through the through the cat culling, you uh, you know, following you, you you were on one of those. I don't know if it was a current affair, but it was something like that, wasn't it? Where they followed you around and yeah, you got mentioned. Well, yeah, it was right, and you got mentioned on Joe Rogan once about killing yeah. cats. Joe yeah. Rogan, um, I was, I've been in the um, New York Times and Daily Mail. And, oh, uh, you're truly famous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, as a cat killer. <laughs> I had a global <laughs> campaign. I got doxxed by Anonymous. Um, how did that go? Talk to us about let, let, that. How, how did that backlash Tell that go? story, because that's a story worth that's telling. That's hilarious. Okay. All right, so... It started off every good story. I was out bow fishing with my cousin. Um, went out, caught up with one of my friends in the Riverland in South Australia here. He's like, oh, I've got a property. We can go shoot rabbits, hares, foxes, and cats. I'm like, sweet. I hate feral cats. Let's go target the cats. So shot a bunch of feral cats, proud as, proud as punch, posted them up on Facebook, holding them up. By two days later... 1,500 shares. Oh. week later, 10,000 shares, and it just skyrocketed. Next minute, I'm getting, you know, 10,000 well, threats a week. Death threats? Oh, you name it. I I was getting death. <laughs> yeah, I was getting 10,000 death threats a week over Facebook. Next minute, Anonymous has doxxed me, so they put, tried putting all of my personal information online home address, phone number, place of work, everything. Mm. Thankfully, they got it all wrong, but I still got it taken down through one of my hacker mates. Um, then 
my mum was a friends with an ABC reporter and he'd seen all this controversy and he goes, oh, that's that's your son, isn't it? And she's like, yeah. She's like, can we do something with him? So we've gone over to Kangaroo Island on the bottom of South Australia, just off the coast there, um, and they got a huge issue with the feral cats. We've taken the news crew out. I've met, I've taken my first shot. Mr. Cat didn't get used walking through the scrub. With your bow? With the bow. That's hard enough without a film crew behind you. Oh, it, it, I was in way over my head. Um, walking through the scrub, spooky cat, my mate shoots it. Didn't go to plan as it... I recall. So I remember I told, this. I, t- I told him to use rubber bludgeons so that we didn't split cats in half and have blood and guts and gore. Um, that's what I used when I shot the cats and they dropped on the spot, but he was using a lower poundage bow than me. So it just hit the cat. It ran doing cartwheels. You know, cats are a pretty hardy animal. He puts another arrow into it. It runs into the scrub. Both arrows have fallen out and we spent, you know, time looking for the cat in the scrub. Couldn't find it with the news crew. So they've aired that. Then they've got um, a lady from the RSPCA and she's sitting there saying, you know, shooting feral cats is horrible. You should dissect them and let them go again. And she's got kittens running around behind her and that's just blown up. Next minute, you know, I'm, it's on Daily Mail and um, I'm listening to Joe Rogan with Josh Zepps and he's like, oh, there's this cat and there's this guy in South in Australia and he's holding feral cats up with an arrow through the heart and big smile on his face. <laughs> so Joe Rogan wasn't a fan? No, no, he loved it. He loved no. it. He, he hates feral cats. Yeah. As we all should. Okay. But, now, um, this was this was only a few years ago. This was 2016. Ago. So a couple yeah. of years back, but yeah. it, it had blown over, started. mate. <laughs> you've, a little you've, bit. You're, off, you're yeah. off their radar now. No, I'll still get a message, but I, I entertain them. They'll send me a message. I'm like, oh, thank you for your love and support. You know, every message I get, mm-hmm. I, I get a dollar towards hunting feral cats and taking them out of the, you know. <laughs> but it, even like the articles that came out, they're like, oh, this guy's getting paid for shooting all these feral cats. I'm like, shit, where's the money? I'm not getting a cent of this. <laughs> wow. Crazy. Yeah. Did you, did did you end up being able to turn it to your advantage? All of the all of the the action and activity. I'm sitting now, hey? aren't I? <laughs> you are. You are. We found you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I never let it let it get me down. I I you know. I was going to say it could have been quite stressful. I I I didn't take any of it to heart. You know, there's these vegan people who are against violence, and you know. There is, they're soft most of the time. You know, what are they going to do? Mm. <laughs> Cut them yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, but um, wow. yeah, I, I used it to my advantage for, for some bits and pieces. You know, a couple of years later, I did an article with a reporter from the New York Times. She flew over from Germany with a reporter from America, and we took her back out to Kangaroo Island and showed her around. Didn't get any cats, but... Got to go in New York, New York Times, and there was another article. They flew was... to Australia to do that. Yeah, yeah. That was a cool experience taking them out, you know, showing them around the Aussie bush, and you know, we mm. cooked some venison up over the campfire with some marron and some kangaroo, and 
where do we find this amazing content to revisit, so, review? Google and, Zach Slattery, Z-A-C-H-S-M-A-T-T-E-R-Y. Right, because you know, it's, after this podcast goes live, it's going to relaunch. It's going to happen all over again. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> I like your enthusiasm, man. I love it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a great story, mate. That's a great, it, as I said. Uh, and I, I, I have been following it. So, yeah, it's, it's been, it's certainly been interesting. And I mean, I, I actually remember the, um, I remember the podcast where he where he talks about it because he wasn't it, you know it just came up in conversation type yeah yeah so he's talking about you know, you know feral cats and the damage they do and yeah that's it yeah it's crazy stuff all right so outside of chasing those um, what's on your hit list in Australia everything um, yeah everything I haven't taken you know I've taken what three species of deer here so three more to go. Um, I've chased a seeker in New Zealand, but I was unsuccessful, so I'm keen to get back over there, chase seeker, tar, chamois, you know, work on all of them. A um, couple of years back, I hunted Texas and Mexico, so oh, I nice. took a white tail, um, Ordad, Javelina, um, rattlesnake, raccoon. So I've got a few of those North American species off the list, but I've still got, you know, black bear on the list, elk, um, pronghorn antelope. You got quite a list. Yeah. yeah. As soon as we can as soon as we can get out and travel again. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Although it's okay. it's getting it's getting easier, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But uh I seen today, unfortunately, they can the uh Deer Expo in Bendigo. Did they? Yeah. yeah Which it's always in our red deer season. Yeah, yeah. it's always a, it's always a well, the, it was um, it was we, the board meeting was supposed to happen at the at well, uh, around that event as well. So, but yeah, it's always a time at Red Deer, and I've actually I'm actually committing time to Red Deer rut this year. Mm. So tomorrow, so starting tomorrow, I'm going up and putting the trail cams up tomorrow. So I'm awesome. Yeah, I've, I've been invited out to my first actual proper red raw hunt. So I've taken mm, a couple yeah. of spikes and a um hind. So I've been invited with my last podcast guest, Josh Haynes. So I'm pretty keen to first weekend of April to go chase some roaring mm. reds. And whereabouts is that? Uh, southeast of South Australia. Yeah. Okay, still down South Australia. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 So, so you've not been you've not been in and amongst roaring reds. I have been, but you have been successful. So okay, mm. but you've you've been there. You've you've felt yeah. the the energy of it. Oh, it's, it's an incredible experience. It's insane. So I went out with a couple of mates, similar area to where I'm going. I had the we were filming. I had my bow in my hand. Mate had a rifle, and we we're chasing around the scrub all day and roaring, getting roars back, and we'd given up for the day and just pushing through the scrub, making a hell of a racket. And next minute, I hear this, hear this, just stumbling and trees crashing next to me, and I've turned around and there's a red stag, just you know 10 meters away but i've had my release aid in my pocket i've had a camera and tr tripod wow. in one hand bow in the other i'm like uh, uh, my mates just swung the rifle around and dropped it <laughs> yeah it's a hard gig when you're trying to self-film and do all of those sorts of things i did quite a bit of it yeah um i'm actually gonna get out of it um and i say that I, i've i've been lucky enough to take oh you know enough Enough not to need to shoot everything that walks in front of the rifle yeah. anymore. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, when you first start this stuff, you know, you go into a park, 
because uh, just about everything that I do, I try and do on public land. I'm not really trying to go on private properties, um, each to their own. I don't mind if people do it. It's just we don't have the choice down here, unfortunately. Yeah, that's the way. It is. Well, we don't have it up here either. I travel interstate to do it, um, and that's fine. But um, uh, now I'm, I'm I'm probably more interested to take the camera, and uh, and and just do the video work while someone else is doing the hunting, um, because you get the same experience. Yes, you might not get to do the shooting but you know as you know that's just such a minute part of the whole process yeah if you're there part of it you're videoing it it's still amazing um my first red deer experience before i even knew there was a thing called a raw was when i was just a young fellow i was out with uh, my uncle we're actually traveling with my family and we stopped in to see my uncle he was a military man um and he said well while you're here i'm going i'm going deer hunting tonight if you want to come and I just looked at my mum and she said, well, go on then. So righto. So off off we went. He, he gave me some some army boots and some fatigues and bits and pieces. And off we went up into the bush for the evening. And um, it was the next morning. So we woke up. We were up on this ridge line the next morning. And it was so foggy. You couldn't see anything. But there was this reds roaring all around us. And we zeroed in on one. And I'm just following my uncle along. And you could feel the heat of the deer. You could see the mist swirling as it bellowed in front of you. So it was in within meters of us, yeah. but I never saw it. No, and it's just, just that that roar through that mist, just absolutely flattening you. But I never got to see the animal. See um, if this, this works for you. I got a. So that's from what? Uh, so that's my soundboard um, yep. for my podcasting stuff. So I've got a Red Fallow Seeker roars on there. Just, you know. As a professional. Friend. Yeah, yeah. Just got a soundboard. Yeah. <laughs> I've got that on my phone. <laughs> I've got 10 seconds of roaring on my phone because, and, and, and I use it when I go on, when I'm up there, I'll, I'll, I'll run the phone. I've got and, three seconds of roaring on my phone, and that's from a from a trail cam video of a red deer that was chasing a hind. Um, but that <laughs> let's use that to move to the next subject. You've got a podcast. Yes, yes. So I I run a, a podcast called Hunting Connection Podcast. I've just started, uh, just done the uh, fourth episode. Yep. What's what's its um its its goal? It's what? Sorry. What's the goal of the the podcast? Eh? Just connecting hunters, yeah. you know, chatting to, like, because through social media, I've chatted to lots of amazing hunters from all around the place, you know, Australia, New Zealand, England, America, Mexico, mm. you know. So all of these people, you know, I'll eventually get on the podcast and chat about where they hunt, how they got into it, what their their beginner tips are. Um, you know, it's a bit more scripted than your guys' podcast, but, you know, just covering basic topics and find out what people think, you know, hunters, uh, how, how they're perceived with the um, general public and how can we work on this and stuff like that. Yeah, good. Yeah. And would you say you're up to the fourth episode? So yeah. just launched yeah. it really? Yep. Yeah, yeah, just launched it. So. Yeah. And and what what medium is it on? How so do people find it? Spotify, iTunes, um, you know, I've got an Insta for it, Hunter Connection Podcast, all of, yep. all of the social medias. Awesome. I'll have to look that one up. We'll chuck some yeah. links on. 
and uh, and and follow that one around for sure. Well, we might even flog a, a guest or two from you. Yeah, hundred percent. That's <laughs> I've already done it from an, another South Australian hunting podcast, send it mate podcast. So <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's all right. That's good. Here you go, guys. Here's my one. So good. That's when I use my. I, I got that. Up, I and I literally used that last year on this little um little what I call Ruffy. It was this little angry little double three. Yeah, man, I wish we had more reds around my area. It's just just fallow and the the odd roaming red spike. Well, I'm looking at my double five from. I can see year. the reflection behind. Yeah, I can I can see double five, and next to him is the fallow I got from last year as well. So they're up on the wall. So yeah, so yeah, I would mind see if I can find something uh, bigger this year. But um, and so the camera will tell me. There's a lot of um, uh, first year spikers up there actually. Okay, so without necessary. Oh well, let's go with this then. Um, if you like cooking venisons, what is your favourite species of venison to eat? So First I've question. Had a few different species. Um, I've had seeker, mm -hmm. deer fallow, whitetail, um, rooster, chittle, and samba. Okay, let's refine my question down to Australian species. All right. So from what I've had Australian species, chittle. Oh, that's um, it. Uh, yes, tick from my, that's it, I reckon. I'm my chittle. Chittle's then the best. Now, how is, chittle, how is chittle different to fallow? Is it a, is it it's, different? Fallow's quite a, quite a, uh, uh, it's an easy venison to start somebody on. It is, but I would say chittle is just, it's a less gamey flavour. It's a lighter colour. Um, than, than fellow? From what I've had anyway. Huh. Um, it, but it also depends on what they're eating as well, you know. Mm. You, you can have two different deer from the same area. but they Back might to be... what Mark was talking about before. You could bow shoot one and then just freak it out by going up with, you know, too early and then all the adrenaline pumps through it and you've not spoilt it but you've changed the meat also uh, skinning it if you're yeah. shoot something in the rut and you run your knife through a gland yeah you keep running that gland, gland. through the rest of the meat no. and yeah. that can contaminate keep look when we're in the uk and we were shooting pigeon and you know most people think a pigeon's a pigeon but there's there is differences in them and because you're shooting a number of pigeons and and then you're just breasting them, so you get them back and you've got like you know twenty bird breasts. You realise that was the best indicator of variances within an individual animal within the same species. Because you just get one and go, oh, it's chewy. That one's perfect, you know. And it was just it was older. It got shot different. Something was slightly different in basically the same same yeah. animal, but. You get this different, you know, age, whatever it was, but you get this different, different effect out of the meat. So you know, some, and you do them a little more like medallions, and you just kind of go, oh, that one's perfect, that one a bit chewy, that one's a bit gamey, that one, you know, it just went right through. And I noticed in the UK, fallow's better in the UK than it is here. Yep. Oh man. Really? Oh, it's, it's, oh, I love the fellow deer up here. Oh, it's just it's got fat on it. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know where you're getting your fellow from. Man, um, it's anyway, so good, anyway, I let's, I've got, 
Let me go back to Zach. I've heard enough about pigeons in the last two episodes. Um, <laughs> hey, they're an underrated eating animal. Oh, man, most, Mark's going to cook definitely. me some. Most uh, we did talk about this. You said you're no cook. So no. anyway, we'll find someone to cook just, a pigeon. Just do him some poppers. Do the pigeon breasts in some jalapenos with some cream cheese and wrapped in bacon Zach, barbecue. Let's go back mm. to venison. <laughs> um, Chittle is your favourite because it's more subtle. Um, yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. I haven't had shit also. I just find fallow very subtle. What was your next on your list? Samba. And Samba's that's a very different meat altogether. It, it, it is, but Chittle and Samba are both Indian species. Like mm, you look so at we got, yeah. we got hog deer, Chittle, and Samba, they're all Indian species. And then we got reds, fallow, also rooster being Indian species. And then we got reds and fallow. So they're the European species. Um, So, of course, they're going to taste different because they're from different parts of the world. Um, From what I've heard, hog deer is the best eating deer we have in in Australia. Um, You just wouldn't share it. Just wouldn't share it. No, it's just not not as much to go around. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, and then out of of those species, so if if you've got your chittle, which is your favourite, What's your go-to meal? Which cuts? I mean, some obvious cuts that we all like over others, but uh, what are you cooking for someone who's coming to try venison? Probably a rib roast, tomahawk mm-hmm. rib roast. So I'd get uh, both backstraps, ribs. I'd section all the ribs out, all the all the conjoining bits of meat out of the ribs, put them together in a like that. The French, yep. Yep, and just put it in the barbecue. I'd actually probably sous vide cook it first, so have it in a sous vide cooker for about eight hours with some herbs and spices in there, you know, keeping it nice and rare still, and then just crisping it up on the on the Weber. Maybe put some wood chips in there, some red gum. Now, that that animal is, is probably going to be one that you've managed to spotlight from the car because it's not the easiest thing to um to to drag an animal out with the ribs and back straps still intact you know the so, old hunt the old hunters cuts normally rip that off the back straps off the back and the back wheels off and off they go um leaving the back straps on the ribs and getting that out of the bush is uh more of a hassle than some people are prepared to play with i got a 75 liter backpack so that whole deer is coming out with me i'll um I'll do a lot of deboning in the field. I'll, yep. I'll take all the organ meat, cool fat, kidneys, heart, tongue, well, all of that comes out with me. So, And if I can get the car in, I'll take it. Good on you. Okay, the opposite question is um, what cuts are you going to give away when someone asks for some venison? Look, I'm not a selfish bugger because I shoot it for myself, so I'll give them some prime cuts mm. because that way – they're more interested into getting into the sport and it, well, I don't like calling it a sport, more more like a lifestyle and it's more likely that they're going to actually want to get involved and then that grows our numbers. So, you know, backstrap, tenderloin, the good stuff. You're mm. a good fella to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to say I'd only give away the shoulders. Um, for the opposite reasons <laughs> to what you just mentioned, but we were on a uh, on a trip not long ago, and one of the guys that came up um, cooked up a couple of shoulders in this dodgy old oven in this dodgy old house where we were staying as we were hunting on this property, 
and um, I think it only slow roasted so well because the oven didn't seal properly, so it couldn't get up to temperature, uh, and it was the most delicious shoulder, just so well cooked. He knew what he was doing, um, but um, I, I always swore I'd never give the shoulders away again either, so I was running out of parts. Um, but good on you for giving away the nice stuff that that does slow get people cooker, man shoulder straight in the slow cooker with some tin tomatoes, you know, some oh, yeah. sauces, and then serve it up on ice. Yeah, this was this was different again. He he was basically just the whole shoulder in a in a shallow pan yeah. with stock halfway up it. All of the rib flap got sliced up into chip sized pieces, and uh, and put in there because that cooked first, so you could basically chew on those bits as uh, the rest of it was was roasting yeah. away. It was just unreal. And we had a party of about six or seven. He put two shoulders in the oven, uh, six or seven of us sitting around after hunting. And it was it was amazing. It was it was shoulders underrated. So have you guys played around with having bone broth? Yeah. Like, yeah. So I take, I take pretty much all the bones, uh, bones out, like I said, you know, femur, shanks, all of that. And then I'll turn that into bone broth. Just freeze it. it and, yeah. I'll either drink it on a on a cold cold winter's morning, just like a coffee, heat it up, just drink it straight out. Awesome stuff. Mm. Um, or I'll use it for cooking and then refreeze it after cooking, and it kind of like concentrates it. But if you chuck a roast, you know, on the hind leg, you take one of the bowl of roast or whatever out, chuck it in the slow cooker, and you do some pulled venison. And then that concentrates the bone broth. You refreeze it, even better to drink than the, the next day. But yeah, pulled pulled venison that way is pretty good too. You know, pulled venison burgers and yes, our uh, our good friend Andrew Day, who we talked about earlier, um, makes a dinner he calls vegan converters, um, <laughs> which is um, I'm pretty sure it's it's probably any part of um, of the of the rear rumps or rounds or what have you, but he basically just slices them wafer thin and then wraps wraps um, a piece of cream cheese or blue cheese in that and then just just quickly two second fries it off on the barbecue and they're just yeah they're amazing. There's so much you can do with it. It's a it's a it's a super healthy and versatile meat. It is, it is, it's great, you know. Uh, I love heart. Heart's probably one of the first first cuts I actually eat that and tenderloin. So I'll cook you know, I'll dice up the heart, dice up tenderloins, onion, chili, mushroom in the pan. Just yep. yeah. Have you cored the heart and you know and and done stuffed heart things like I that? Done stuffed heart, no. Yeah, yeah. That's that's something I, I'm thinking of trying this time around. Um, with when we're in camp, we usually you know because most of the meat we're going to bring home, but yeah, there, there's that as you're cooking. I like to have something going and it might be just backstrap or something like that and just very thinly sliced straight on the heat while they're cooking. And, you know, you're just sitting there drinking a beer, watching it cook while you have these little, you know, medallions. And uh, But we tried the heart a couple of times and I'm still experimenting with it. Still haven't got it exactly how I want to get it, but I wouldn't mind like a stuffed heart. Yeah, mm. so um, schnitzels are another... Another mm. good option for it as well. You just kind of like core it and then cut it in half into yeah. your, into your big open open yep. cut and then crumb it. Um, that's a that's a great thing. But yeah, that's not you, actually that's not a bad idea at all. You dice you dice it with dice it with tenderloin and 
you know, I'll do kidney, mushroom, chili, garlic. Like I'm, I, I love my herbs and spices, so mm. I, I coat everything in chili and garlic. I actually think I'm just thinking about how the the, the, the schnitzel idea is actually. That'd be that's really what, that's what schnitzel was that in Germany. That yeah, was hard. that'd be a really good for them, for, That's an easy one to do at camp too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's a it's a good idea, mate. Very good idea. Can see my doing doing that one in in June down at down at the um the fallow block. What about tongues? You tried tongues? Uh not deer tongues. Strange enough. So I I wait till I get get you know six seven deer tongues in the freezer, then boil them, skin them, mm. and do like some tacos or something out of them. Tongue tacos. Yeah. Yeah, deer tongue tacos. There you go. You won't see that. At, you won't see that at um. You know. <laughs> Sounds better than <laughs> old uh, Steve Ranella's foot tacos. Yeah, yeah. Or head cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've um we've experimented a few times with things like that. Um, you know, we've sent the group out hunting for the afternoon. Whoever gets one, we want the tongues and the hearts. And um, they come back and they sort of go on ice, and the nicer cuts come out, and they don't really get dealt with because people are a little bit uneasy about what to do with it or how to deal with it. Mm. One of the boys um, not long ago posted something up. He said, "I've mastered heart. I've mastered tongue. He's got it sorted." So we're all looking forward to how that's actually going to come out, but I'm sure it's nice. I mean, ox tongue and things like that we had as kids, so yeah, yeah. there's no reason it, it, it shouldn't be every bit as good. Well, there were the parts that were eaten first back in, you know, caveman days. It was the mm. liver, the heart, the tongue. Oh, yeah, because it's the, the, most, the highest level of nutrient in them. That's it. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. the, the muscle meats were the, the bits that went to waste. Yeah, that's it. There's actually... um. I was reading this once. I was talking about in the where you get the caribou migration. They were they they were so plentiful that they would actually just eat, go kill them and just take the cut cut the tongue out and leave the rest yeah. there. Yeah, you because know, skinning was after after you know they'd skinned ten. That was all the skins that they could use slash carry. Bison too. That's right. So they mm. would just yeah, just go. They're so plentiful. They just take tongue and 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 cuts like that, which we you know, it's funny, isn't it, how they became the kind of cut that no one wanted. I think it's the name for them. Awful. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's it. Yeah. That's it. Like people, but, you know. but it's like using the word feral. Yeah. You know, instead of game, all of a sudden, it's feral. Well, you know, why would you eat a feral goat? Yeah, exactly. Oh, cause goat's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's right. And and you know, if there's one meat that that can basically stand up to any condition, it's goat, isn't it? They just for some reason they just are impervious to just about everything. So you chuck it yeah. in a curry and you can feed it to anyone. That's fair. right. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's the most well. That's right. I think I think carp is the most plentiful meat in the world, and goat is the the most plentiful red meat in the world. Yeah, or, or and it's actually not a carp, or it's a type of carp. There's a there's a fish in the Mekong Delta that basically is every fish cake, crab cake, fish finger that you eat is basically is out tilapia? of tilapia. Uh, it's a fish in the the Mekong Delta there that they you know that they literally. 
pound into literally millions of millions of tons of things that turn up to crab cakes crab cakes and everything else yeah you guys have them up in queensland yeah yeah i think you can bow fish from my understanding probably not let eat them (laughs) that's yeah I, i can't get over that yeah it's a useless fact i had in the back of my brain i've got a couple of them they surface from time to time yeah tilapia are quite yeah, quite common, especially um, actually just over at uh, not too far from here. There's a there, in um, the North Pine. You see a lot of tilapia. So yeah, yeah they're there. I still can't get over that carp thing. We need to write some letters. <laughs> well, there's so many letters we've got to write up here, and you know, uh, hopefully we'll highlight some of these little things and we'll get it sorted out. But that could take some time. Hundred percent. Right. Meanwhile, um, we've burnt through a couple of hours of discussion we so, have um we'll, we'll call it to a close here um i want to i want to uh, make sure that we put up the links to so we've got bow fishing australia yep hunting connection podcast yep zach slattery the cat slayer <laughs> yep yeah cat cat man um and and your uh, your other uh, social media bits and pieces we'll grab off you uh and we'll put them up in the link for the description of the podcast um and i just want to say thanks that, that was a lot of fun uh, i learned a lot that i i did i, I didn't know like, i learned a lot i didn't know and thanks, uh, you've, you've also joined the dots to a bunch of things that i do recall uh seeing like uh the cat stuff uh, yeah. And now I know, I know that that's you. You're a man of yeah. many talents. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you do make your way up to Queensland or we find ourselves down your direction, I'm, I'm keen to try um, one of the Zach specials from uh, whatever game meets it is that you think yeah, is that's... the right flavour to eat. You've got 100%. some pretty cool idea. Down. You need I've to write a book. The spare boat. No, I can't write. I'm too illiterate for that. That's why I started a podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not like Mark, you know. Well, maybe you could do a a descriptive recipe once a week in your podcast yeah. that we can all follow. That'd be great. Yeah, mate. That's it. That's it. That, that's it. I think um, I think that move move to cooking is is the, is the next big step, you know, because it just keeps moving it along from you know from 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 the idea of it, it's a pest, so you're doing something there, but then your utilization, then actually enjoyment. I think that's a it's well, a significant part of the since COVID, the whole sustainability factor has jumped in. Every man and his dogs, like hunting all around the world, has has just skyrocketed. You know, because of that field to four, yeah, paddock to plate. Mentality. It has, but it 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 uh, it's where the hunting part's still a bit kind of. You know, a bit spooky and all that, unfortunately. So, like, there's a there's an environmental group here in the lo- my local area, and they, you know, they say we're going to do this, and I said, oh, well, you know, there's there's just deer up the up the road here. You know, yeah. why don't we do something about them? Oh, hang I on. I get messages from California, from all these American states, Canada. How do I get into hunting? So there's me, like, oh, what area are you in? And then I go find a friend, <laughs> and, like, go chat to this person. They know the regulations and. Oh yeah, there's heaps of people. Just since the whole yeah COVID mm. thing, everyone wants to get into. We get it. them. We get them all yeah, the time well, as well yeah. through um through our clubs and and you know the new members that come along. When you you get to talk to them about what their motives are and what they're trying to do, more than half of them are trying to find a more sustainable, you know, free range, untampered with, you know, go get it yourself type protein. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
just... it's, it's, and it's also, I think, that, that the lifestyle component too, you know, it's a free-range life rather than just, just a food, you know, just a... It's, it's meditation, it's church. Yeah. It's I'm not a religious person, but I feel like I'm in a church when I'm out hunting, you know. It's just out, out with nature. Uh, it's interesting you say that because I was um, I was out at the Pilliga uh, oh, nearly two weeks ago, Mark, and uh, I had a fellow with me who's um, it, it was his first hunt ever, not just state forest hunt, but his first hunt ever, and he was lucky enough to take his first animal on that on that on that hunt, Incredible. which was just an awesome thing to put him through. Uh, it's like taking my own first one all over again, um, but being able to. You know, to get him there, to prepare him to get there, we we drove there, we set up camp, we looked at maps, we we did all of that, and we went to a spot. Mark and I have spoken about this spot before we went there, and it looked likely. And you know, obviously, Mark had been there before. Um, you know, first day we were up there, and there was there was an opportunity, and we took it, and it was awesome. So he went through that whole process, but over the course of the week, he got to unwind completely as well because he he'd managed to take that on the first day. And then we had the rest of the week out there looking around and doing stuff. And he pulled me up at one point on this, you know, rocky outcrop that we found in the middle of nowhere. And he said, you're so right about what you were saying, you know, before we came out here. When you're hunting, that's what Andrew was saying. When you're hunting, you're so immersed in, in what you're doing. All of your senses are engaged. Everything is going. You forget about all of the troubles and things 100%. that are, you know, you've left behind you. And it's 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 your meditation. It's your it's your church, like you say. So, um, the more people do it, the better. I say. 100%. Yeah. I always think that you know people ask about it, and I said actually, you realise it's not, it's not. I'm turning off. I'm actually turning on. Yeah, mm. things that don't work are now firing again, and you're kind of going, "Oh, look, this is this is what smells actually." You know, this is what that this smells smell is for. Yeah, you know, this is what this is for. You know, all of a sudden you actually, you know, and it takes some time to get there, but you're actually going, "Yeah, things are working properly now. I'm processing in real time lots and lots of inputs." that are uncontrolled inputs rather than, you know, everything being brought to me, you know, in a, in a sanitized moment in a way or a sanitized format. So I'm, st I'm actually turning on. I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at, at, at what I am rather than kind of going the other way. So it's, it, you know, I remember when we saw rockfish, people go, how do you stand there and do nothing for six hours? And go, I'm not doing nothing. My brain is going full time. You know, everything is going. I'm, I'm, my whole life is going down that fishing line, waiting for that thing to, to move. You know, I'm turned on, not turned off. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're, you're out hunting or fishing, and you're like, I bet you, I'm not the first person to walk down here and hunt something. You know, there was someone here standing where I'm standing a thousand years ago doing the exact same thing I'm doing. That's <laughs> funny you, know, you say that. Hunting different game, but. Uh, we found this. We found this really interesting rocky outcrop in the middle of the scrub, and as we walked up to it, there's this big cave and it's full of goat crap. It's just this big open cave. And I thought, far out. I wonder how many people have been here. And, mm. and more than once, you you know, you walk through the bush and you think, oh, I wonder if I'm the first person that sat on this log. Um, well, then as I'm walking up there, I'm thinking something similar. I wonder how many people have found this. There's the graffiti in the rock. You know, Andrew, 1930. I thought, okay, well, <laughs> it's been a little while, Andrew, but we found it again. It's <laughs> like I got taken out hunting when I went, was in New Zealand on the North Island out near Port Wakato. 
and I got taken up into the hills and they had all the big dugouts where they'd cooked all the shellfish and all the oh, yeah. seafood and like just walking through there, you could feel it like it was, yeah, just incredible. Most certainly is. There's actually a, a there's a, a bore ring just up on the hill behind us here. So, you know, who knows what what real what happened there over how many millennia? So it's, it's around. It's everywhere. It's just not on TV. It is. It is. Okay. What do you reckon, guys? Are we done? Yep. We can we'll call, call it for tonight. Okay, well, Zach, mate, it's been a it's been a pleasure. Mate. It uh, really is. And uh, uh, I remember Ian a couple of days ago, I was going saying, "Oh, who's this guy we're going to talk about?" And I said, "Oh, well, mate, it, it, this one's <laughs> going to be a good one. He's got some stories." And uh, you know, I, I I fondly remember the the great cat debacle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's great that uh, that you've had you had some chance to get some perspective on it and 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 uh, put it in its proper place. Oh, it's helped me grow. It's helped me become who I am. I wouldn't be where I am today and I wouldn't have the perspectives on hunting and anti-hunters and hunters as I do today without it. No. Probably wouldn't have the hat either. <laughs> that's right. And, 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 the, and the stubby cooler. Yeah. I, it's kind of a party trick. I'll I'll take the stubby holder and the, the hat out to a party with me and it's a, it's always a conversation point. <laughs> so, again, yeah. mate, thanks for your time. Um it's been a pleasure. I know. Um, Likewise. As I said. So uh, I reckon we need to uh, talk again sometime soon in regards to cooking, though. Yeah, not a problem. That's the next one. And uh, you, you obviously sound like you know what you're doing. Well, I certainly don't. So I I'm, try. I, I'm, I'm, keen to, I'm keen to keen to learn. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, All right, Zach. Appreciate it, mate. Catch you next time. Thank you for having me. You too, buddy.